0: Welcome to Legends of Reed. My name is Joanne Sukumaran. Every episode, I interview a top wind player from the bassoon or oval community. Find out more about them, about their musical knowledge and insights, and what makes them tick. Stay tuned.
1: So,
0: hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Legends of Reed. Today, I have a very distinguished guest, uh, Ule Christian Dao, who is professor in bassoon and musikhochschule um, He He's the guest principal in famous orchestras and ensembles. So, uh, I'd just like to let you know that I'm actually on location in Ubud in Bali, which just had a very long day of uh, photo shoots. So, I hope I don't sound delirious because I've been on the bicycle and the motorbike and we've been shooting in the jungles and the uh, paddy fields. But very warm welcome to Ula. How are you today?
1: Thank you very much, Joanne. Yeah. Very nice yeah. to see you. And uh, yeah, your day in Bali is uh, certainly more exciting than my day teaching in the Hochschule. But uh, no, it's very nice to see the students again. Of course, long day of teaching also. But uh, less palms and no fancy drinks so far. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, what have you been up to uh, recently? I read that you've been uh, giving masterclasses uh, in Lyon and uh, Brussels. Is that right?
1: That's true. I had a very nice um, invitation from Luc Lebri, who was the bassoon teacher in Brussels. And he's actually retiring uh, this year. And he asked his students whom they would like to invite for a masterclass. And he was kind enough to finance this himself and make it a as a goodbye present for the students, which I thought was very nice. Um, And, of course, you can't say no to that. Uh, I tried to arrange it and we had a very nice time in Brussels. I said, I'd love to come and teach your students, uh, but on one condition, um, that I can take you out for dinner at your favorite restaurant in Brussels. Uh, Because I actually had never met Luklupui before. So it was a, a very special occasion. We had a wonderful meal, fantastic talk. He's an amazing guy with a long, long career him. So uh, yeah, that was uh, two great days in Brussels. Then I went to Lyon afterwards to teach the great class in Lyon for my very good friend Carlo Colombo. And yeah, I had quite a bit of good food there too, (laughs) surprisingly enough. But it was very refreshing times. Uh, It's also a special bond to Carlo Colombo and Lyon because he also studied with Roger Bernstein, uh, my old teacher from Geneva. So we have a Yeah, we have a lot of links and a lot of common things we teach, actually.
0: Yeah, I I understand from our last conversation that you actually like to uh, eat, right? So what's your favorite food? Do you have one, Una?
1: Well, to be very honest, my absolute favorite food is foie gras, actually. And uh, I mean, one really shouldn't eat that too often. And it is made in the most horrid way. But I don't know, that uh, hits my soft spot very much. So if I can have a foie gras and a glass of uh, sautern, this kind of sweet wine, I'm, yeah, doesn't get any better.
0: Okay. But you, you don't eat any seafood, right? Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's the pathetic part of being in a region that doesn't eat uh, seafood. It's like a Dutch person that doesn't eat cheese, isn't it? So it's, um, no. embarrassingly enough, I don't eat seafood. I'm trying to grow up. Um, and I can slowly eat a little bit of tuna and maybe a little bit of cod, but any kind of shellfish or crabs or prawns.
0: No. Uh, okay. That's bit- oh, that's a pity, but maybe we can uh, convince you to come to the dark side of the food spectrum. <laughs> so, yeah, I know that you're a huge Star Wars fan, right? Um, can you explain your fascination with Star Wars? Did you watch the, the latest release, uh, you know, the Han Solo one?
1: No, that's actually a very bitter thing because I was teaching all day instead of being oh. in the movies. Germany, okay. they also have uh, Star Wars in German. Uh, okay. I, I don't know if ich Heise Han Solo is uh, too exciting. I'd, I'd prefer to see it in English, really. But no, the fascination came very early. I mean, it was uh, absolutely mind-opening uh, thing with these movies, you know, this whole sci-fi stuff when you're a little kid, then yeah, this thing's hit the screen. And I, of course, I love the the whole balance of, uh, you know, the masters, the Jedis, the, the school, the discipline, the Padawans, the whole thing. And I mean, if you transfer that into teaching there are so many similarities, uh, not necessarily the good and the evil part of it, but um, there's a lot of respect that how you pass on knowledge and stuff like that, and I remember very well also my time with Persinger, a, uh, a very Yoda-esque experience. Although uh, Roger is slightly more fit than uh, Yoda, absolutely, um, and uh, it was a very special time for me. I mean, he was already up in his years, but incredibly clear head with an amazing amount of uh, experience, and he was kind enough to share this, and uh, it was a very important time for me.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really lovely to hear because I think um, I felt very inspired by your masterclasses and by your book, uh, Drills, right? I think it has been one of your trademarks and you've, you've been known as like the Yoda, right? In the bassoon uh, circle, right? Uh, and, um. And you call your students uh, Padawans. And, uh, but uh, why did you publish drills? Why not keep it a secret? You know? That's my question. My, uh, I was curious about that.
1: Yeah. No, actually, a lot of people have asked me, why, why do you want to share this? And uh, yeah, why not? I mean, I think that's a very modern thing to do these days. Um, we do have a lot of knowledge that has come up in later years. and. and the will and the need to, to share it, I think, is very different I mean, the old days. If you belong to a school, you had like uh, your armor and your, your flag, and you only belong to the school, and if you took a lesson with somebody else, you would get in terrible trouble. And I think today, I mean, the market is so difficult that we are actually sharing a lot more, and we're also doing exchange as teachers and other schools. Um, and we just have to be very happy if everybody gets a job these days. So, um, with drills, um, It was a gathering process because I had a lot of exercises, I had a lot of information um, that needed to be organized and I I had a lot of these exercises that I did myself because I I didn't really find them in my studies and I wanted these kind of
0: tools
1: Um, and I was an orchestral player at that time and I wanted to stay in shape and get better so uh, I had the chance to sort of teach myself a little bit in the beginning in Malaysia when I started because well it was kind of far to go to Darg, to Hanover. Wasn't really around the corner. Um, so I was teaching myself a bit. And then when I came to Danish radio in Copenhagen, I had these great guys, both Oden and Frederik, Odenhal uh, Vossen and Frederik Eck, taking lessons. And I had the chance to sort of try all these things out on these rather uh, talented test bunnies, if we can call them that people. So, I mean, in that sense, I got a lot of confidence saying, OK, this seems to work actually. So maybe I could try and organize it. And uh, put it into a system. And Caitlin was Caitlin Cameron is an incredibly organized person and she really made this system uh, you know, work in the sense that it was understandable for people to take it, that it wasn't too overwhelming and that it had like a natural pro- uh, progress process. So it was a very um, good thing to do and the system is used and it works and yeah, I'm very pleased. Um, that we made this book and now we're planning uh, drills 2.0 with a lot of new things also so that's exciting
0: ah so will it be published soon drills 2.0 or?
1: not soon but soonish um things take time and since um drills the first book is very much to the point and sort of quite sort of uh, how to say like a bouillon or a consommé, it's reduced and people need to really think what's written and so we don't want to, you know, do something too fast and too hasty with number two. But I can tell you a few of the things that will be in that book will be, there will be a whole chapter about how to achieve form and how to build form. Then, uh, in this, just like more or less like an athlete uh, in that sense. Um, there will also be a big chapter about fingerings, how to use fingerings for different things and to standardize your fingerings. And there will be a lot of very nice tricks for bassoons. Uh, we've collected quite a few things, a lot from my experience, but also a little bit from Carlo uh, Colombo also. And so we have some incredibly nice, nice fake fingerings for soft playing, for high playing, all these kinds of things. So, and there will actually be a big chapter called the behavior in orchestra, which is, of course, an incredibly dangerous topic. And I'm sure I will be getting a lot of pepper for that, but somebody has to do it. So I I, f- I find it very important to try and inform students who are going into trials and you know about the landmines.
0: Yeah. So you were talking about the landmines, you know, in the industry, like you know, um, in this recent year we had so much um, debate and the uh, heated uh, discussions, you know, about the women's rights, you know, the Me Too movement.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and then I feel as a female artist and and being independent that somehow, yeah, you know, sometimes I have to deal with a lot of agents, and sometimes the agents are rather dodgy. That you have some advice for this kind of situation, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I have to say I'm very happy that this whole B2 business actually has come up and actually created a new level of understanding standing that one says well you know it's not okay to be dodgy absolutely not and i mean uh, in, not in any sense and that's uh, especially also for us teachers I mean, we are so in such close proximity with the students also and i mean for me personally i find it very important to have the classes open all my all my classes are open so people can listen and stuff like that i think that's absolutely natural so what i would do in in your case is i would surf a little bit on this wave and you know let this motion for me to strengthen your back, actually to say, well, that's not okay and stuff like this. And, uh, you know, rather say no to something that uh, is a little dodgy instead of thinking, well, that would be a nice uh, gig or something. Like that I just have to, you know, cope with this uh, slimy person or something. That's I wouldn't do that. I mean, one has, one has enough understanding for the whole situation now. I
0: think. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, no? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Since our last conversation I was thinking a lot about our our um, performance as very, being very similar to an athlete. So do you have any exactly. yeah. yeah. Do you have any pre performance routine? Like what goes on in your head before you go on stage, you know? Like what do you think in your head?
1: There are many things. Yeah, but that's, it's a, I think it's very individual for many people. But I mean, I think what, what I typically do is to actually brush the dust off all the particular things I need from an academic point of view. I mean, you check your breathing, you check your pressure, you check your tongue, you do all these things. But um, that's just like brushing off the tools and getting ready. But more importantly, you try to sort of live yourself into the music, even though if it's not your cup of tea of music, that you really try to go into that world and make it as genuine and real as possible. It's our obligations. Also what we do for a living. And uh, I think it's very important to try and dive into the, into the heat of the composer and what they went through when they wrote this kind of music. I mean, just a few days ago, we played Bruckner 7. We have hardly anything to play, but it's beautiful music. And you have to dive into it and uh, be part of that ride, what the concert can be. So I think that's... Um, is a very strong devotion to music in general that I want to do. When you want to serve the composer, serve the settings, serve the orchestra or the chamber ensemble. I think that's a very good approach. There is no such thing as bad music in the sense when we're performing.
0: Yeah, definitely the, the idea of uh, being of service no, to the composer, or to the audience, helps take mm. the pressure off the situation. No?
1: Absolutely. absolutely, And I think uh, that was a very clear thing from the times in Cologne radio, 13 years of live playing in, on radio. Sure, there's a, always an element of, of perfection that you are supposed to achieve, but it's also very dangerous to let uh, the need of perfection take away your creativity and saying, okay, I'm going to play this with a safety net. Uh, one cannot do that, at least not all your life. Uh, I don't think it's a very healthy thing to do. But we must not forget how, how the expectations are today. Also from auditions, how flawless we are expecting people to play and how, how perfect things have to be. So finding that balance is uh, very, very crucial. That's why we also wrote very specifically about this in drills. Yes, you study extremely strong academics in one part of the exercises. Then you have a bridge mode where you walk between the academics and creativity and then the third part is to be as free and creative as possible and without this third part you don't have the first part and vice versa
0: so having um being um and the drills is a means to the end no it's not the be all right that's what you mean right
1: exactly i mean it's uh it's a way to i mean it's, it's the house of the house So (laughs) you have to take care of your your house and especially the fundament. And that's, it's a fundament building technique. Um, And that's what I find quite fascinating. I mean, you actually know quite a few of my older students. And I think we can both say with a hand on our hearts that they sound very different. Uh, Both Eudon and Friedrich and Sebastian and all these people. Uh, But the interesting part is that the fundament is actually the same but it, is, it gives the ability to play the bassoon in a certain way or certain capacity, but then you can build the house after your desire. And I think that's exactly what I'm supposed to teach. So I'm supposed to teach people how to do it, but uh, you know, how to achieve these things and how to achieve this kind of control and then comes the, the creative process. Yes, I might help a bit uh, to, to lead the way or to give some uh, advice and stuff like that, but in the end, the person has to develop their own signature. So I think that's what I'm doing. I'm Learning, you know, trying to show people uh, with which pencil they can write, but their individual handwriting, they have to do themselves.
0: Okay, so empowering uh, students with the right tools, right? So they can go in the direction that they want to, you know? Like...
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So do you have any tips, like, um, for example, like you perform yeah, not so ideally in a competition or an audition, how would you tell someone to recover quickly from a setback or from a mistake? Is there like a well, pep, pep talk or something? Or
1: We very often talk about, um, you know, if you, if you fall off the horse, uh, the first thing you have to do is to climb on top of it again, I mean, if you, if you fall on your skis, uh, do it again right away. I mean, and it's very natural uh, to, you know, have setbacks and stuff like this. Um, So, I mean, one has to see the bigger picture here. I mean, it could be a step to the side. And actually, some of my absolute best students have developed the most after a setback. It's not about how you fall. It's about how you stand up again. So, I mean, that's an incredibly crucial part of of studies. Actually, falling flat on your face and experiencing that and learning from the process. Uh, you know, as what good old Nelson Mandela said, sitting, I mean, God knows how many decades in prison. He said, I always learn something. I either win or I, I learn something. I never lose. Mm. What, a, what an amazing attitude to have, you know, when you've been sitting yeah, you know, three-quarters of your life in prison.
0: Yeah, not being uh, resentful about it, I think, no? Or bitter, right? Yeah.
1: And that's, yeah, I mean, we all know... Things can be audition-wise, and there can be politics. There can be all kinds of stuff. But very often, I teach the students, or I I want them to. to, If you were happy with what you were doing, then we've come a long, long way. Results Mm -hmm. will come. Uh, You know, we have to find the right way. And also, that's a big part of my job as a teacher. Not only trying to just make people as good as possible, but actually trying to find where could this person thrive and blossom and actually have a great life. You know, that's it's not only about playing the suit. Actually making this your living and uh, making it your life and there are many more many more factors than playing high season two than just that
0: hmm. yeah definitely i, I think uh, i've been uh, experimenting a bit to be more creative in practicing so trying mm. to let go and doing improvisation that has helped me a lot to find uh, Um, spark back in practicing I think Um, but uh, yeah so do you think uh, what do you think has been the most valuable thing you have learned in your career so far
1: the most important thing I've learned in my career is definitely uh, that one has to treat music with respect and love there is no other way to it Um, and fortunately I, I do love music I love any kind of music, I really do. But I think that's, um, like I said a bit, if you you play a concert or something, diving into that world, into that setting, into that galaxy or whatever the star system may be, that's the obligation we have as musicians. Let's go to the core and find out what, you know, what is it that Bruckner wants, what is it that Bach wants, you know, this particular setting. And Mm -hmm. that's the big thing you can learn, I think, also. So, Mm -hmm. there is, uh, Amazing amounts of music out there, and you can learn so much from so many different people. And that's, um, and it, you know, not all of them are perfect musicians at all, or they're perfect instrumentalists, or not at all. But you learn, and you try dive into their world and pick up all the stuff that you can. So it's a uh, never ending study trip, studying or playing, being a musician. You should yeah. never go on the empty part of the tank, you can always refill it. But not only with, uh, uh, you know, your classical petroleum, but also jazz, uh, everything else that you know would actually expand your horizon. Just like you said, now you're improvising to do things to you know, expand your horizon and find other parts of your playing. Totally important. Absolutely.
0: So, Ola, then, uh, do you enjoy listening to other genres? Do you have any guilty pleasures, or do you mind telling? Oh,
1: all kinds of stuff. Now, the latest thing I downloaded was Jaco Pastorius, a great bass player who passed away way too soon. Um, the second last thing I put down was Tommy Dorsey, amazing trombone, jazz trombonist that actually taught Frank Sinatra how to sing. How about it? Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. And then I have uh, Oedipus Lex, I think, uh, recording. I love that piece. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's very mixed. Absolutely very mixed. And oh. um, so I think that's uh, incredibly important. I mean, we have all kinds of genres that we're playing and you should, uh, you know, find out what the other guys are doing. For sure.
0: Yeah, definitely, you know, just not stay in our little cave, right? Yeah. So. No. Yeah. So talking about um, uh, the, the arts and the orchestras, you know, there's so many budget cuts. Do you
1: think there is an alternative career path outside the orchestra path? What do you think? Yeah, as so a as a bassoonist, uh, being an orchestra musician is, is very rewarding because yeah, we have we have a lot of repertoire uh, that's kind of our era. But you know, of course, there's teaching, there's uh, there's education, there is folk, of course there's the sound there's chamber music, all kinds of things. I think, but especially. Purely soloistically, of course, we have a certain amount of repertoire um, but, I mean, I find it very, very brave to, to go full on with the soloistic stuff. It's not really my personal cup of tea. I'm definitely more of an orchestral bassoonist and a, a teacher in that sense. Uh, but I have to say I, I enjoy it immensely that some of my students like Sebastian are now pursuing much more soloistic career in this and playing a lot of very important uh, pieces but also having written pieces, written especially for them and for our instrument. there's definitely more things to do than orchestra. But um, I have been a very A4 standard um, typical orchestral uh, bassoonist all my life. Uh, so that's, that's for me, that's how I sort of define my existence. But uh, there is many, many, many other ways to do it that incorporates super for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, as a student, did you, were you practicing like six to eight hours or how were you like as a student? We know so much about you as a, as a pedagogue, as a professor, but do you mind yeah. telling us about your student days? Yeah,
1: yeah I, was, uh, yeah, I was definitely more in the six to eight hours uh, a day, but I wouldn't call it studying because I really didn't know what I was doing. So, I mean, I was I think I played a lot, but I didn't really study um, okay. and I didn't really Oh, uh, what uh, for what? But uh, yeah, I just had a, you know an incredible appetite for for playing and you know having fun with this. And I, I was very fortunate. I had very structured teachers um, from the beginning. Robert Rønnes was the stavanger, and he was very serious, which was a very good thing. When you're a, you know blonde, and Norwegian boy uh, with all kinds of other interests, also. So I mean, the the bassoon stuff was very serious with him. And I managed to sort of stay on track a little bit, but I wasted a lot of time, um, and that's also. Maybe, maybe also one reason why these exercise and drills and all this stuff came as a necessity later because I, I actually wanted to structure my own practice so uh so there, i had some years in norway and then i started in geneva with roger which was super um, especially from an orchestral point of view because he had this amazing experience from lso with all the big famous conductors and he also it's also an important point was willing to share The most intimate conversations, or or critique, or or points from these amazing conductors to him as a principal of the LSO, and this was so intimate to to know these details. What you know, Bernstein said. What what Carrión said. What Boulez and Abado all these amazing guys that we have, you know, CDs and records from our MP3s or God knows what, but you know, you know what I mean? These are amazing persons who said very specific things about certain solos. He was there, he played them, and he shared it. So that kind of, I would really call that some kind of Jedi legacy that he really passed that knowledge on, and I cherish that information this day. And I mean, the way I play certain orchestral excerpts are so influenced from Rogers' teaching and Rogers' ideas, which was also then influenced from these great conductors. So, mm-hmm. that time in Geneva was very rewarding. And then I got the place in Hannover with Dari Jensen. It was very nice to, uh, of course, get the place there. I never seen so many of the students in our audition before. We were like 35 and I had to warm up in the bathroom, I remember, which was uh, very, uh, quite a thing. But i got the spot and i started working with doug and that was very he was relatively new as a professor then um and it was a great time he was an amazing and there was a lot to learn of course and there was also a very clear um path to the german market and german style of business playing i would say but at that time i already had the job in malaysia and i went there so i was sort of going back and forth not ideal for studies got a lot of air miles uh, but um i I needed the experience also in Malaysia, it was very nice. Um, and after Malaysia, I went to the Danish radio as principal, uh, which was a great Scandinavian orchestra, uh, learned a lot of repertoire and I had to play a lot of stuff. Um, and it was exciting to be back home in Scandinavia, but there was this great job in Cologne that Dag also said, why don't you try this job, VDR. Um, and I did, and I got the job, I was very surprised, but then there was also a very important point, in my life where, yeah, I was surrounded by all these great bassoonists down in Germany and I thought, good God, uh, what to do. And then I decided, well, I'm not going to try and be anything else that I'm, than I am. So I'll try and play as 100% ULA as possible. And if they like it, that's great. And if they don't, well, at least I was myself. And I thought that was a very important step. And Then, yeah, that actually worked out. Um, and then I... Try to stay more or less in that path a little bit that you can actually believe uh, in your own thing. It's a good thing.
0: Mm. So staying, staying true to yourself, to you, who you really are, right? No, not,
1: uh, yeah. Well, I, say? I yeah. say this to the students. For the, yeah, for the, for the auditions. Yeah, the, the further you come into the audition, the further you come to the end, the more personal you can allow yourself to be. And uh, you know, show more. Because we are looking for the musician behind the instrument. And that's, uh, I think that's a very important thing. I mean, if you try to be something else that you are, it will go south uh, at some point, I find.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's great. Because that's the answer to my next question, which is how can one stand out uh, in a sea of many fine musicians? I think you just answered it. Do you maintain such a highly motivated and successful bassoon class?
1: Well, um, it's a good question. Uh, well, I, I'm very lucky. There's a lot of very talented people who wants to come and uh, come to study in Mannheim. And, uh, I mean, there are many places where you don't have the chance to, to pick people. I mean, you're happy if a lot of people can just put the bassoon together and then they can study. And it's very different here. And We've been very fortunate with the recruitment. I think the students have worked extremely hard. And, there's been a lot of success, and of course, I'm very proud of that. But uh, I think the work that one has done is uh, I mean, I would you know it doesn't matter how much how hard I work if the, if the students aren't able to, to receive it and to change and to, to do these things. So I think we have managed a very high level of fairness in the class because there are of course, a lot of people having lessons and coming to master classes. But when it comes down to the audition, it's the points for me and my colleagues that counts. It doesn't matter how many lessons a certain person has had before. Ending it comes down to the audition, and this mm-hmm. is very important. If we have like applicants from Australia or South Africa or South America that haven't had the chance to maybe come for a lesson before a masterclass, even it's about the audition, and everybody should have a fair chance for this. So I think it's a very fair setup in that way. I think the ones that come to study in Miami, they understand this is a class where we work very hard. And I expect also a very high output uh, from the students. And I have to say, if things aren't working out, I have asked students to leave, actually. There's been a few cases, um, because, not only because of the student, but because there are other people waiting and that really wants to, to do this kind of work. Um, yeah, and then sometimes one actually has to, to say, that's not going to work out. Which is a horrible thing to do for a teacher, but um, yeah, that's part of it too. Uh, You have to be a teacher in good and bad days. And uh, you can be proud of your students when things are going uh, really well, but you have to be equally proud as a teacher and as a human being to help them out and put them on their feet again if they fell down. It's Mm -hmm. part of my job too.
0: Yeah, I think you're particularly um, talented in um, giving analogies, you know, like to give feedback. Yeah, I think uh, you give feedback in a very um, acceptable manner that the student does not feel offended or too hurt, right? In the moment, right? Yeah,
1: they
0: get the Maybe that's a bit of a Scandinavian
1: approach. Yeah. We, uh, Scandinavians are generally relatively polite, but I mean, I think it's very... Very important for me as a teacher if the teacher points out a wound or actually slices something open and says this you really can't do it's very very important to also provide the remedy and provide the the antibiotics or the the band-aid and saying don't worry okay you have a wound there that hurts but take this practice like this and do this and then things will be better and for me there's always a very very strong ethic in moving A student, any student from A to B, no matter how far A is from B, but every lesson has to move in some direction. And I want every student to come out of a lesson feeling, okay, I've moved a certain direction. And I think that's very, psychologically, very, very important.
0: Hmm. So it comes from the Scandinavian uh, culture and... uh... Equality, no? I think that's it, right?
1: Oh. A little bit, yeah. But I mean, bit, I have yeah. to say, I do, I, I do enjoy the, the German directiveness and then, then we're actually allowed to say in Germany, no, do it like this, which you don't say in Scandinavia. So, I mean, um, I think the, the, the efficiency of the German language and the efficiency of the respect one has for arts in general in this country and that we have 20 or 22 Hochschulen where you can study bassoon in this country, which is absolutely incredible. Um, that there is such a variety, and we are actually, we have something to say, and we are supported in what we do, we have great equipment, we have, yeah. like I told you, we, in Mannheim we have four contrabassoons, uh, we have, you know, quadruple read machines, and several cool. instruments that people can have, several instruments that people can have for rental instruments, or for trials, it's an absolutely amazing thing to have, so, we uh, we are extremely fortunate as German professors in this sense. Absolutely.
0: Mm. 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 So, um, talking about live concerts, has there been a, a very unusual gig you have ever played in or in a very uh, exotic uh, location? Or was it like, have you ever had a bad gig in your life before, Ola?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I know exactly. one. I, know I, was, I was called up once when I was a student in Norway. And uh, this guy asked if I played the bass bassoon. And I said, do you mean the Contra bassoon? And he said, yeah, I guess so. And I said, yeah, well, uh, I was kind of short of money. So I said, yes, even though I really didn't have a driver's license for the Contra at all. But I mean, how hard can it be? I thought, I mean, uh, there is a Contra in the school and I will find like a fingering chart. That, yeah. And he said, yeah, this is like it's a children's concert gig. It's no big deal. So can you come and you will get this kind of money? So yeah, I thought, great. That sounds like an easy gig. So I packed up this contrabassoon. I found a fingering chart and I tried my best to sort of, you know, noodle through whatever things there was. That was, was a, yeah, it wasn't easy. But I came to this gig um, and this guy said, Your costume is over in the corner. And I said, Costume. And uh, yeah, I had to dress up like a troll with a, with a tail and everything. And it was like a troll concert for kids and everything and uh, well the, and I said so when is our rehearsal? We just have a sound check and then the kids are coming in half an hour. And I said, well, I need the music. And I said, Oh, uh, yeah, but it's just chords. So um, basically they gave me like the guitar chords and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I have some basic uh, you know, theory training in music so I, I could get by a little bit. But these were, you know, serious stuff. Yeah? So and they basically wanted me to play the bass for the whole thing. Uh, on the Contra Bassoon, you know reading these kind of guitar charts and dressed as a troll, so that was uh, yeah and the kids just you know kept swarming in and then we had to play this concert and I have to admit I was pretty nervous pretty nervous and uh, in the middle of the concert I thought I did quite well and at some point this guy just turns around and screams at me solo so not only, I, not only do I have to play the bass, but now I have to improvise as well. And I mean, I was so lost on this contra and in the guitar charts, and you know, tried to make some kind of thing out of that, and uh, yeah, I somehow got by, uh, and the concert was over, and then the guy said, he said, "You're really terrible." <laughs> so he said, I- i never ask you again and yeah I, I mean I, I don't think I've been that degraded ever but I mean so basically I looked like a troll, I was carrying this controversy. Hello? Oh
0: Hello? I think I lost you there.
1: Can you hear me now? Sorry, I, ah, I dropped out the,
0: yeah, I lost you for a bit, yeah,
1: sorry, sorry, So you got the yeah. end of the story with uh, a <laughs> a horrible troll uh,
0: the part when you were in the costume, and then is there an ending
1: uh, no, just walking home uh, dressed as a troll with a contrabassoon, feeling absolutely degraded at that. I couldn't do anything, <laughs> but, just walking home uh, dressed as a troll with a contrabassoon, feeling absolutely degraded at that, I couldn't do anything. <laughs>
0: But well, how, how old and were the, you? May I know? Uh,
1: I was about I was 17, I think. I didn't even have to pay on the bus. I think the guy th- thought I was a tramp or somebody who slept outside or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. But oh uh, yeah, it taught me a lesson. Don't say yes to a gig you can't do. Um, so then, you know, it's important.
0: Yeah, yeah. But thanks for sharing that anecdote. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time <laughs> yeah, and sure. your. And your insight, I, I, I hope that our paths cross again, you know, in the near future.
1: Yeah. I hope so too.
0: Yeah, thank you, Olaf. Yeah.
1: Big pleasure, Joanne.
0: Okay, so good night from Bali. <laughs> I will end the recording. Enjoy night.
1: the fancy drinks and the waves, Joanne. Yeah? All the oh, best.
0: I, okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.